Thanks for joining me here at the Real Rescue Podcast, powered by Vertical Helicast. This episode of the Real Rescue is brought to you by Breeze Eastern. Now, we are back for part two with Riverside County Sheriff's Department. Let's go! My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Dude, this has been awesome, you guys. Thank you so much for sharing these stories. Uh, I gotta, I, we got to run through the questions that everybody said. So if you guys don't mind, I'm just kicking a little more time in here. Let, let's run yeah. through these because you guys... Like I said earlier, uh, we've had questions that got posted, and and here's they are. So start with the first one. Um, this is an operations and mission related. So at bilge underscore rat. Question is, I'd like to hear about the structure of the rescue teams. Who do they draw their deputies from, and what is the day to day life on the team? Mike, you want it? Uh, yeah, so the structure we have, uh, we have a pilot, co-pilot, two pilots, um, and we have three uh, rescue specialists that, uh, so a crew of five, uh, we have six total uh, rescue specialists in the unit, uh, three on each side of the week, and um, hey, buddy, uh, so uh, we have five total rescue pilots, six EMTs, that was my son waking up, um, so uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> Um, a really cool thing though, uh, I'm going to make some news here, big announcement for our unit. Um, we have finally been approved to send, uh, our first EMT to paramedic school and we're going to become a paramedic. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, we're That's awesome. really, really excited about that. It's uh, very necessary for, for our operation. There's been several instances where, um, the victim needed a line established an IV and some pain meds on board really quick. So, um, Mike Doyle, he's, uh, he was a paramedic before in his previous life, uh, on an ambulance. And, uh, unfortunately, uh, his cert lapsed. So he has to go back to paramedic school for the whole year. So he's going to start that in February and, uh, all over again, man, boot all over out there marching and stuff. So, um, we're really excited about that. So we will have an ALS uh, paramedic program in about about 14 months when he gets back. So um, excited to announce that. Yeah. And then um, so for our deputy sheriffs, uh, <clears throat> the way our air unit is structured, um, there's kind of two tracks now in which you can come into the aviation unit. Uh, we do we have a, we kind of split the house. We're uh, we're search and rescue side and we're the law enforcement side. So the law enforcement side uh, was also the search and rescue side when we had uh, H-125s only. So we would do our rescues with the A-STARS and, uh, and patrol as well. Now that we have the 145, we're kind of delineated. So like our EMTs, they came in, they, uh, they did an interview, and then they did a skills practical assessment, and they got selected to become the first EMTs. And that'll be one track that they can take uh, going forward. Law enforcement side uh, to become a tactical flight officer. Um, that is uh, the job that's the hardest job in the cockpit. Hardest job in all of law enforcement is to um, to be that to 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 conduct that role. So um, those we select as well from an interview. Uh, we have a, we put out a, a memo to the patrol guys, uh, 
that uh, if they have a minimum of, uh, I think, three years of patrol experience and they're off probation and um, they have a, a meet standards uh, evalu evaluation and uh, endorsement by their bureau commander to come over. So they'll sit for an interview. And then those that do the best in the interview, we bring on a practical fly along and we put them through some skills, some assessments, some aptitude testing, uh, spatial navigation, aerial navigation, um, critical thinking. We put them through some actual scenarios that we do on the ground with uh, role players that uh, kind of emulate a uh, law enforcement call for service. And then so the best ones will probably take the top uh, two, three at the most off that list. And then they'll come over and they'll start a training program. Those, our pipeline for pilots are drawn from the TFO um, cadre. So um, when a pilot position becomes available, uh, a, a qualified tactical flight officer um, who has their private either rotorcraft or um, airplane certificate can uh, then be selected. And then the department sends us to um, a training vendor to get their commercial rating and um, turbine transition and so forth. So that's um, that's how we make up, make up the team and and um, how we pick. Uh, so they're all from all in-house from uh, our, our sworn deputy sheriffs. Right on. Well, I'm going to ask one more. And Travis, let me go to you for this one because you've been sitting there quiet for a little while. So it's your turn. What's the day-to-day -day life when you're in the office? Um, at the office, we'll come in. Um, we'll make sure all our gear is ready in the helicopter. Um, everything's set. Uh, sometimes we'll pull the helicopter out and leave it out. Sometimes we'll leave it in depending on the weather. Um, wintertime, we take it out a lot. Summertime, if it gets real hot, we'll bring it in because uh, I think it's 85 degrees. They don't recommend it being outside. Uh, once everything is ready, we'll log on to the computer. That way dispatch knows we're logged on, all that. We'll pull up our flight logs, um, get those all updated. And uh, we wait for a rescue. Um, almost every week we'll, we'll do a little scenario like Friday, we took out our rescue dummy and, uh, dropped him up in the uh, mountains and he's still up there. And, uh, <laughs> wait, you know, he's up there right now. Yeah. He's up there right now. We're going to have to go get him. <laughs> so, we'll be back hold on, hold on. Time out, time out. Yeah. You took the rescue dummy, you flew out and what, just kicked him out of the aircraft at some random location. Well, <laughs> oh my god well, uh, <laughs> well we we know where the location is sometimes we'll gps market so mock um hoist um sometimes we'll use a piece of equipment uh a ked it's a little half stretcher we, we've done that before just to mess just to mess with it yeah. um, sometimes we'll go kick it out mark the gps coordinate and give the gps coordinate to the other crew and make them go find it uh oh cool do stuff like that uh, what a good idea we've done um water training any type of training um that we haven't done in a while different trails let's go do you know let's go do a hoist on this trail let's go do a hoist over by that waterfall let's go do something so week weekly we're usually doing something we work wednesday through saturday uh, lately, we've been getting rescues on Fridays and Saturdays pretty routinely. Um, so that's kind of what it's like. We uh, get everything together, wait for a rescue, and if we're not doing that, we're usually doing something training, some type of uh, refresher stuff, messing with the equipment. Cool. Nice. Mike Calhoun might, might be on the rower. 
trying to row his 10,000 meters or whatever he does. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like it. All right, Manny, let, let me run to you real quick. Is there anything these guys left out from your day-to-day or how to get in? No, you know, training is huge for us. Uh, Mike, Mike mentioned it earlier, but uh, we have a sheriff that encourages us to go train. We have an administration um, that encourages us to train. Um, there is no limitation. We can do and go pretty much wherever we want to go and what we want to do. Uh, we know that these rescues, they come up so frequently uh, that we want to be at the top of our game. So we take every opportunity we can to get out there, to make it fun, uh, you know, because uh, we're flying. I mean, we're having a, our job is to fly around and, and help people. So we have an amazing job. So we get out there and uh, we go through, Mike made some cool scenarios up. Uh, we'll go through scenarios for for rescue tech so that they can work on their medical treat, their medical aid. Uh, part of the scenarios are for the pilots just to be able to fly in certain terrain. Um, there, there's all kinds of different types of, of scenarios that, that we go through weekly. Uh, so that way, when the real ones come, it's not a surprise. You know, we pretty much hoisted at um, below sea level and, and at 10,800 feet, which is the, the tallest peak in our county. Uh, so we try to put ourselves into situations and, and training scenarios that, that are likely to occur. And, um, you know, I, I think we're good at what we do. And it's because we have the opportunity to do that. You know, we're not told what to do every day. So um, as, as a sign of appreciation, um, we go out there and we try to represent our sheriff department well and, and let the public know that, uh, you know, that you're getting the best of the best. And, and we go out there and we try to do that. Now, you know, there's always room for improvement, but um, our goal is to be the best that we can be. Um, and, and we strive hard for it. Man, I like that. I, I like. I also like the fact that you guys don't get stuck in the the same monotony of day to day doing the same thing. You're changing it up. You're constantly uh, making it better and training, 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 training. You said it yourself, man. That's awesome. I like that. Well, uh, at build underscore rat. I hope that answers your question. I'm gonna go to the next one. At Sarah Saved by Grace. What has been the most emotional or eye opening rescue of your career? Mike, I'll start with you. Uh, emotional or eye-opening? Um, I think uh, probably the one for me was, I think it was about 2018. Uh, we were looking for a, uh, there was a lost hiker in, um, it was uh, uh, very well south of Palm Springs. And uh, so he, he, uh, he went hiking with a friend. They, 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 daytime, uh, they got separated down a, down a trail. Uh, they're both in their seventies. One of the, the, the gentlemen that got lost, he, he slid down a, um, a rock face or like a, it was like decomposed granite DG. And he slid pretty fast, pretty far. And some scrum at the bottom is what stopped him. Well, his partner couldn't see him anymore. He was deep in, you know, probably 80 feet down and he was in there and he's hollering, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty banged up. So his partner tries to call 911, cell phone doesn't work. And um, so long story short, uh, he has to hike all the way pretty much down to the valley before his cell phone will work. And uh, that starts the search. Um, so the next, ne- that day uh, we looked, uh, the ne- that night we looked, 
Um, the next day, uh, the day crew uh, flew in a whole bunch of rescue volunteers up to the top of the ridgeline and just kind of trickled down and searched. Uh, couldn't hear them, couldn't see them. Second night, we went out and flew it, did a FLIR search extensively. Um, the third day, they searched again, couldn't find them, inserted rescuers. So that third night, we were called back out, and it was basically they were going to call it at that point. So um, we go out and do one more kind of, we'll do one more FLIR search. <clears throat> so the command post is down below us, and so we're going and we're flying. Uh, my partner, Ray Hires, was the tactical flight officer at the time. And so he's doing a great job just FLIR searching, scanning, you know, and it's it really is like needle in a haystack. We're looking for that one heat source that's the anomaly. And I'll never forget, yeah. we're scanning by and uh, he sees something. We kind of both see like something bright and it's a little bit taller than the rest of the vegetation right again, up against the uh, the skyline of this one smaller ridge. Kind of Kind of pan back real quick. Hey, what was that? Um, and so we zoom in and it looks like a guy, we zoom in deeper and it's like, there's a guy that's definitely a person standing there. And we're kind of like, Hey, you think this is our guy? Huh? Hope so. So, and then he starts waving his arms. And, uh, so we go to the color camera, we're like, Oh, that's a, that's a man with gray hair with a red jacket that matches up our victim description. <clears throat> so we're like, yeah. So we get on the PA and I'll never forget his name was Roger. So he said, hey, are you Roger? Wave your arms. And he's waving his arms. I'm like, <clears throat> okay, this is our guy for sure. So uh, Ray gets on the radio, tells, um, tells uh, the CP that, hey, we, we, we have a positive ID of the victim. And at this point, it's three days into it. And the family's down at the CP as well, the command post. And uh, so I remember the, uh, the incident commander saying, are you sure? Are you positive? I've got the family right here with me. You know, they're distraught, of course. And... Uh, so I said, affirmative, we're going to come back and land at the, at the, at the CP, I'll reconfigure, and I need two hoist-qualified uh, rescue volunteers to come up and help with this, uh, with this rescue. <clears throat> and this was our previous like, model before we had Rescue 9 and the dedicated search and rescue helicopter. So, yeah, we went up, got him, pulled him out. Uh, family was super happy, and uh, it was, that, was, that was really cool getting to find that guy after three days. Um, they found that the, uh, they had some, I think some mountain lion tracks. I guess a mountain lion was tracking him the whole time and just. Oh, oh, oh yeah, the, no the way. Volunteer, when they were searching, they found some tracks that right near where, where he was. And so, yeah, that was, that was a pretty good one for me. Wow. Dang. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you sharing. Uh, yeah. Travis, what you got, man? So emotional, wait a minute. Hold on. Let me, let me double check that. What has been the most emotional or eye-opening rescue that you've done? Let me guess. <laughs> well, a couple come to mind. The Lily Rock rescue that we went over was eye-opening just because it was um, so high up. And um, everything we kind of do is dangerous out of the helicopter, but that was more of an eye-opening to see how dangerous it was. We're on the sheer cliff face. Um, so many things could have gone wrong, but didn't. The blades were, so, you know, 10 feet off the rocks. Um, so that was eye-opening. Another one that comes to mind when I was pretty much brand new, we hadn't even started EMT school, I think. We went to help Riverside Fire on a Jeep accident where some, a family, a man, a woman, and their son had rolled down a hill on the 
west side of Riverside. <clears throat> the father was deceased. The son was um, banged up. They were able to walk him out, and we ended up picking up a paramedic and Stokes basking this uh, female victim. And uh, I remember helping the uh, paramedic, and she had open femurs, um, open radius. Her oh, skull was wow. showing. Oh, dang. Um, so seeing someone with that much trauma fighting moaning um that was really memorable and uh luckily like i said we were able to pick up that paramedic and take her straight to loma linda which is a major trauma hospital out here and uh from what i remember they were able to save her and patch her up but that was a, a memorable one for me to see that much trauma wow and they saved her man nice nice job dude wow right on thanks travis all right manny now, I, I might actually know what Manny's is going to be, but I'm going to ask anyway. So, um, a most emotional or eye-opening rescue for you, Manny. I'm going to make, I'm going to give you two real quick. One of them I'm just going to briefly top, touch on. Um, we're all, we were all deputies on the street at one time. Um, I have the utmost respect for our deputies that are down there, all police officers, law enforcement, first responders. Um, but there was one call. I was working patrol. Uh, I was a, a tactical flight officer, had a pilot flying, and uh, a robbery comes out, and long story short, we find the car. Uh, I'm calling this pursuit at this point. Units are following it, chasing it. Uh, they get off uh, off the freeway into a parking lot filled with people in and out, all kinds of restaurants uh, down in a little town called uh, Marietta over here in California by us. Um Four people jump out of that car, and one of them starts shooting at the cops as he's running away. Oh, my so, gosh. So um, there's back and forth gun battle going on. Uh, people are everywhere. Uh, I watch everybody the best we can. Uh, we get three people in custody, the guy that was shooting. Uh, I see him turn a corner, and I can't see around that corner. So uh, we set a massive perimeter. There was a ton of resources involved. Hours later, they found uh, found the gunman hiding uh, behind some concrete uh, in the location where he was last seen. So that's one call that 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 pops up and comes to mind because of, of what our guys on the ground deal with every day. You know, wow. uh, it's a dangerous job. You know, and sometimes you take it for granted. Uh, but uh, that was one memorable one, and then. Of course, the most emotional one, uh, as you're you're well aware, uh, was the rescue of Claire Nelson. Right, yes, sir. and I believe she was on one of your episodes. As a matter of fact, she was episode fifty three specifically, and uh, Claire has an amazing story. She wrote the book "Things I Learned from Falling," uh, and this is actually how all of this got connected. So through Mike, Mike told a bit of the story, then I got to hear her side of the story, and now we get to hear a little bit from you. So. I'm, I'm psyched about this. Um, the most emotional rescue. Uh, I think this was 2015. And we get a call. Uh, my partner, Eric Bashta, was the pilot. I was the tactical flight officer uh, before we had the rescue helicopter. And we get a call of, of a lost hiker out in uh, Joshua Tree National Park. Part of that park is in Riverside County. Part of it's another county, San Bernardino. Uh, 
they wanted us to search the Riverside County portion for a missing female who uh, had been out hiking uh, several days prior. Uh, she had told some friends that she was visiting, uh, that she was going to go hiking. And uh, she was, uh, Claire was, was into social media. She posted a lot of her trips. She's an adventurous person. So she would uh, post a lot of her hiking trips uh, on social media so that all her followers could kind of see where she's at, what she's doing uh, across the world. So uh, in, in this in this instance, uh, she went out to go hike. She told her friends, hey, I'm going to go out and hike. Uh, one of her friends suggested that she take a hiking stick because the terrain was unfamiliar to Claire. Uh, and these guys were from Joshua Tree. Her friends knew that a hiking stick would be beneficial. So initially, Claire tells the story, and she says that she didn't really care about taking her hiking stick. wasn't really a priority for her. Uh, she began to to leave the house, and something told her, stop, grab the hiking stick. These guys know what they're talking about. Uh, you know, so I believe there's a reason why, why she was stopped and grabbed that hiking stick. Um, so she does. She goes out. She hikes the trail in Joshua Tree. And uh, as the story goes, she trips, falls, and lands in a pile of, of rocks. She falls down about 20 feet down this rock. That was kind of like Mike said earlier, some decomposed granite on top of this, this tall boulder. Um, yeah. She lost her footing, uh, which was could have happened to any of us. Uh, she lost her footing, slid down the rock, uh, hit a rock below inside of a bowl of rocks that was probably no more than six six feet in diameter and she falls in the middle of it breaking her um her tailbone uh her pelvis so she's down there incapacitated she can't move uh, so eric and i get the call and we just know that this is a lost hiker several days have gone into it chances of, of us finding her are very slim but again I, I said it before we treat every call as if it was our own family member and i know uh that if any one of us called and said our, our parents or our children were were lost uh, we want to know that every effort was made to to locate them uh so i try to put my shoes my my uh my mind in that perspective you know so we go out there and say okay you know chances are slim that we're going to find some some random lady in the middle of the desert but we need to give it our best shot. So uh, we conducted our search. We searched for probably an hour and a half till uh, we finally started running low on fuel. Uh, during this search, while we're searching for her, uh, Eric and I are going back and forth on different areas that he had been to in searches, um, different areas that I had been to in searches, and we're trying to eliminate and trying to you know just look everywhere we can think of that that she may have gone. During this search, we saw a couple people, which is kind of funny in the story, but we saw a couple people hiking a trail. Um, I saw what I thought might be a mountain lion or some sort of animal converging on the two people on this trail. So as, as we're searching for Claire, um, I see this animal and I'm yelling at the people on the PA, hey, stop, stop, stop. There's, there's some sort of an animal in front of you. Don't go around that corner. Make some noise, whatever, uh, trying to scare the animal off. Well, as I, as I get my binoculars and I start looking closer, I realize uh, that the animal is a coyote, not a mountain lion. So I'm talking to Eric, 
while I'm making my PA announcements, I, I take my foot off the pedal, uh, which is what we use to, we push the pedal, we talk, and then we release it. So I tell yeah. Eric, I said, oh, dude, that's not a, a mountain lion. It's a fucking coyote. And he's like, dude, you just said that loud over the radio out to the people on the ground. I'm like, no, I didn't. He's like, no, you did. I said, no, I didn't. I had my foot off the microphone. I didn't say it out loud. So if you know Eric, uh, he's a jokester, and we're kind of joking around with each other. And, and, um, and you know, I said, okay, whatever. I didn't say it. So we continue our search. Eric, Eric flies down a canyon that he's familiar with, um, and I hadn't searched there yet. So I said, well, let's go look in this area while we're out. And Eric says, dude, we're, we're down to bingo on fuel. We need to get out of here. So he starts flying down the canyon, and I said, all right, let me just search this canyon as we spiral our way out of there. And uh, during the search, uh, I'm looking with my with my eyes, got my binoculars in hand. Uh, I saw trash in the middle of nowhere floating around in the air. So it was one of those things that was different than than everything else I had searched and looked at uh, during this these couple hours now. Um, so I asked Eric, hey, Eric, can you come around? There's some trash down here. I don't know what it is, but it's worth looking at. So came around again, and the winds were screaming. Uh, over the hills and over the rocks. So Eric is coming, you know, into the wind. He's kind of slowed up as he comes around, the wind's pushing us and he's hauling ass. So he's making those adjustments as a pilot. And I'm looking at the binoculars and I can only see this piece of trash for a split second as, as the wind pushes us by and, and as a helicopter is hauling butt because of how deep these rocks were. So finally I'm like, dude, I have to eliminate this from being trash. Um, so can you come into a hover? So Eric, Eric gets into a hover, says, okay, I'm comfortable here. I said, all right, let's just slide left. And I need to look straight down into this rock. So I'm looking on binos and we're coming left. We're coming left. And I see the trash and I'm like, oh, it's just a, a plastic bag. But then at the, the plastic bag was attached to what we later determined was the hiking stick that Claire, Claire um, took with her. Uh, yeah. She fell down that rock. She used that that hiking stick tied a bag and was using it to wave for help anytime an aircraft would fly over. Uh, she had seen several aircraft fly over and uh, she was out there for, I think it was three nights right. to the point where uh, she, she video recorded her entire, her entire uh, stay in the middle of the desert, I guess you would say. Uh, and she documented it. And she got to the point where she documented what, what she was thinking was going to be the end of her, her life. Um, she was drinking her urine to survive. Um, a mouse had eaten the rest of her food. And she was down to the final final moments of what she thought was going to be of, of her life. And, uh, you know, because uh, Eric, Eric and I were persistent in our search, uh, we were able to find her. Um, once we did find her, uh, we decided to call CHP, California Highway Patrol, our desert crew. Um, they're they're amazing, amazing people out there that do rescues as well. And uh, Eric and I decided we're going to land. We're going to go see if there's anything we can do to help her out while we have CHP and, and medical helicopters start making their way towards us, which um, from... From the desert, we were about 45 minutes or so uh, east of, eh, 30 minutes east of, of Palm, um, Palm, Palm Desert, I guess, Palm Springs. So okay. 
Uh, Eric and I land about a mile away. We couldn't quite get to where she was at. We had to hike down to where she was. So Eric and I uh, made our way down to her. Uh, while we're walking down, uh, we're kind of scurrying down some some pretty steep rocks. We had to actually climb through boulders and down to get to her. And uh, eventually we made it down to her. She confirmed it was Claire. Uh, and there was a couple funny parts to the story, uh, but one of them was uh, I had thought, well, let's bring some bottled water because she's probably dehydrated. And Eric wanted to bring an apple, um, which I thought was weird, an apple, but okay. Um, he brought an apple. So we get down there. I offer her water. She doesn't want any water. Eric offered her the apple and she, she wanted that apple bad. So she took the apple and um, as, as we're talking, you know, we're trying to say, do you know what day it is? Do you know where you're at? Do you know who our president is? Um, at the time, um, she made a comment about her president and Eric Bastia says, give me that apple back. And he grabs the apple and Claire's face looked like she was going to start crying right there. Um, <laughs> Eric was joking and he's all just kidding. Dick. <laughs> oh, he, he goes to take the apple away from someone who's been starving for, for four days now. Um, kind of like Mike and I are and my wife. Um, so, uh, <laughs> So as we're talking to her, CHP's coming in. They're going to they're going to hoist her out. We're working on an emergency evac plan. And and we're just small talking. She's in good spirits. And uh she goes, you know, I thought I was hallucinating when I heard um I heard you guys saying attention in the area, we're searching for a missing hiker. Her name's Claire Nelson, which was me making announcements. She goes, I thought I was hallucinating. Because so many aircraft are flying over. But at one point, I heard somebody on the loudspeaker say, it's a fucking coyote. And I realized that these guys, there really is somebody there. And Eric turns around and looks at me and says, I told you, you said it over the, the PA system. So she's probably wondering who these dumbasses are that are, are rescuing her. Oh, that's um, great. But at the end of it, she spent, um, we rescued her. She went to uh, the hospital. She spent about a year in rehabilitation. Um, it was a long, long process, but it was the first rescue that I had ever been involved in. And even up until today, 15 years later, uh, that um, she's the only person I've become friends with. And I actually heard the end of the story um, of the rescue. And, and I'm sure you're well aware from all your years of rescue, uh, you help so many people. Yeah. And when they're gone, they're gone. And you never, you never really get the full story of what happened. You never hear back from them. Right. Um, no, it's, and this it's is, awesome. Right. And, and, and we have, we've all been there. We all know. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners uh, know the feeling of just never having closure and never know, never knowing what the outcome was. Um, but in Claire's story, uh, she was such a cool chick. We got along really well. Uh, later on, in her rehabilitation, my wife and I met out with her and, and had some, some whiskey out in Palm Springs and got a chance to really get to know her. Uh, and cool. through that process, okay. I learned that she, she was writing a book and, um, and it's a great story. It's a great story on survival of the will to survive the mentality of, of not being a quitter, you know, just in, in life in general, you know, she didn't quit in life. Um, she fought till she had nothing left in her. Um, and she kept trying to fight. You know, it, it's a good, good story about not giving up as, as search and rescue platform until you've exhausted all, all angles. 
um, you know, and, and I think that because we, we did everything we could and went a little bit beyond what, um, what some people may have done, I don't know, but, uh, it, it was one of those things, Eric and I say, you know what, if she's out here, we need to at least try till we cannot try any further. And Eric yeah. pushed that helicopter to the safest limit he could, um, to the point that we were, we were forced to get ready to head back and, and, you know, yeah. Someone was watching over us and it worked out good. And uh, now, you know, she's alive to tell her story. So that is the most emotional, emotional story I have. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I'm so glad I get to hear it from you as well. Uh, and actually I'm going to do a, a one little shout out to Claire as well, because just recently within the past um, six or eight months, she actually came out to see you uh, on her accident anniversary and you guys got to uh, take her for a flight and, and go back to that spot with her and, and had a, a, a great connection again. So I'm stoked that Dude, you guys are, are keep going. That was go, amazing. Go that ahead. was a lot. Uh, Mike, Mikey, uh, he, he's really good He's at what he does. He's compassionate about what he does. And uh, on her anniversary, he suggested, what if we flew back there? And, and because it was such a, a, a memorable rescue, I remember the exact spot I'd had taken people to that spot before to show them where, where she was that we located her. So I knew exactly where, where, where it was in this group of rocks. And, uh, Mike had suggested, let's, let's do a reunion and let, let's see the raw emotions of her going out there and, um, finally going back to where, where this all went down. And, you know, as much as it was, it was therapeutic for her. It was also therapeutic for me. Um, because I got to go back there and I felt her emotion and I could feel, um, it felt to me like I could just feel, um, her fears while she was in there, her, her thought process, you know, and she explains it so clearly when she speaks, um, she's very articulate on how she speaks and the way she tells the story, walking down there with her, taking the same path that she's telling us, I turned here and, and I looked out here and I was just overlooking this, this whole valley. Um, trying to figure out, okay, you know, which direction do I need to go next? And all of a sudden, you know, I'm sliding down into this ravine and, and she describes it in such detail. And uh, yeah. Mike documented a lot of this reunion. And uh, it's one of those things that, you know, when, when I retire and I look back on, on my career, uh, this is one of the, one of the, this isn't, this is the highlight of my career. It's one of those things that, uh, that just, makes me proud of what it is that we do. And, you know, that is saving people's lives. Freaking awesome, dude. Manny, oh, I'm so glad you told me that story. Um, I, I love how you guys still keep in touch. It's amazing. So yeah, that's super awesome. cool. Super cool. Thanks for sharing, man. We're going to divert real quick to thank our sponsors. Breeze Eastern. For over 80 years, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured battle-proven aerial rescue hoists, winches, and cargo hooks. Each product is carefully crafted to support demanding mission scenarios, ensuring the job gets done safely and efficiently. Visit them today at www.breeze-eastern.com. Yeah, thank you. All right, I'm going to go I'm going to go to the next question. So we got two questions from at Bravo underscore guns, aka Brad. So what advice, lessons learned, and suggestions does the team have with respect to an agency procuring an A-star for patrol and occasional hoist work when they're not 
uh, when they're not justified for the twin. Mike, let me drop that to you. Uh, I would first say that there should, there's always a justification for a twin engine capable search and rescue helicopter. Uh, I know that's probably the administration saying that, you know, there is some sticker shock involved with that. And that was one of the fights that we had for many, many years uh, before we got ours. Um, and I will say that the uh, H-125, the A-Star, is the best platform for both law enforcement and for hoist rescue for single engine. Um, we, we absolutely love ours. We, we still utilize ours for, for hoisting when the 145 is down. Um, it's extremely uh, comfortable, capable, uh, has so much power. I mean, we, we hover out of ground effect at 13,000 DA up at Mount San Jacinto with the A-Star. Um, you just got to get, get it light on fuel, and, uh, but it's, it's doable. And we did that you know, for the first 20 years of our rescue program. So I would highly recommend it. Um, very capable. They would not regret uh, using that aircraft uh, for both of those missions. I would say, though, that um, if you're going to be an occasional um, hoist rescue bird, that uh, you stay very proficient and uh, constantly train in it. Um, it is a very, very perishable skill. Um, we still train in the A-Star as well to stay uh, current and proficient. Um, there's times where you have to you have to jump in and, and perform it. You know, I had to do that when, uh, when SR3 was out in May, doing the, our, that initial Lazard training. And we had a vehicle over the side. This lady tried to kill herself. And um, the 145 was tied up in the training. So I called the patrol bird over. And uh, the pilot, he landed. Um, he became my hoist operator. And I flew that. that uh, it was a Litter Stokes uh, rescue in the canyon. And, uh, but it was a good testament toward... Um, you know, he stayed current as a hoist operator because he was one before he was a pilot. And I stayed current in the A-Star, as we all do. And uh, it, it went surprisingly well. You know, it was, um, you know, I hadn't, you know, done a live hoist rescue in an A-Star probably in quite a while before that. But um, I would say, yeah, stay very proficient and current in the training with it for that operation. Nice. Right on. I appreciate that one. Uh, I'm going to throw one more question out. And as far as A-Star specific, so Brad's also asking when you think of balancing weight on the A-Star with mission equipment and personnel, how is the helicopter stable enough to get the job done? I'll just, I can, I can answer that just real quick. Um, the, the 125 H125 version, um, it, we did have some challenges with center of gravity, uh, because of, um, the, uh, the infrared camera we had on the, on the nose, uh, they had to max out all the counterweight in the tail cone. Um, so there was a little bit, there, there is a little bit of CG issue if you have your, your larger infrared cameras on the nose uh, with the hoist. Uh, we run a VF Goodrich hoist on all of our aircraft. Uh, so it can be challenging for your CG issues, but it's, it's not impossible. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's doable. Yeah, not, not, it's, not a, it's not a deal breaker. Awesome. Awesome. Um, for technical or anything else, uh, Mike, I'm going to drop you under the right in there. Can guys uh, or people contact you for questions like this or if there are any more follow-up questions? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, love to answer any questions. Uh, you can contact me um, at MikeCalhoun21 at gmail.com. Right on. Thanks, yeah. man. I appreciate that one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The next question. This is from at K-M-O-Y at K-M-O-Y. 
What is the craziest thing someone has said to you when you first reach them? Go ahead, Mike. Uh, I I can't I think of anything. Should probably got a Travis for this one. Yeah. Well, you're in the front yeah. seat. You don't you don't mean anybody. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding, Mike. Okay, I'll go. I'm I know what they say to Travis. <laughs> All right, Travis, what about you? What, what's, a, what's a crazy thing somebody said to you when you meet them or when you get up to them? Remember anybody saying anything too crazy to, uh, to remember? I get a lot of, um, uh, I'm scared of heights. Um, can I get your phone number? <laughs> I'm scared of heights. You're getting hoisted to a helicopter. We, we got a, <clears throat> the same place we did that night hoist that we discussed. We have one where an 11-year-old uh, rolled his ankle and we got him and his mom out. And mom, first thing she told me was, I'm scared of heights. And I was like, well, we'll go. That's cool. I like that. <laughs> what about you, Manning? I, I mean, you know what? I, I got to throw Claire back in there and, and be like, I felt like I was hallucinating. And <laughs> you're like, yeah. Ah! Yeah. The first thing that <laughs> One of the first few words coming out of her mouth were, were very memorable. Um, and I think the first thing I really honestly remember is um, the whole hallucination and it's a fucking coyote. So um, <laughs> that was that was one of the funnier ones. And I think Mike, Mike said it earlier, but um, now as pilots, we don't go. Uh, we have our EMTs there. They've got so much training and they, they've surpassed where we were when we were doing hoist operating. Um, so they're making most of the, the patient contact now. Uh, but I do remember that a lot of the patients that I had dealt with, they were always scared about how much it was going to cost. Uh, you know, and, and Mike said it before, but he's had people turn, try to turn us away because the only thing they're thinking is how much money this is going to cost them and their family. Uh, so we really emphasize with our patients now and I know our medics are good about doing it, is letting them know uh, that this is not going to cost you a penny. This is compliments of Riverside County. Um, we have the support of our sheriff, and, and his direction to us is to get out there and, and help the public. So uh, for anybody that ever finds himself in a, in a bad situation, uh, and I could speak for at least Riverside County, uh, the ride's free. Uh, you know, if you're injured, don't be embarrassed to to call us, um, set your pride aside because we're here to help and it's a fun ride. So take advantage yeah. of it. Nice. All I keep thinking about that was it, is my buddy Claude Morrissey, uh, who's like, he'll get up to the victim and say, uh, ask grass or cash. Nobody rides for free. Just kidding. Come <laughs> on, let's get in the helicopter. <laughs> like, Dude, That's a great line. That's a classic. <laughs> So hey, you know what? You can steal it and you can say it was mine, but it wasn't mine. It was Claude. So I'm pretty sure if any of us were to say it, it would be Travis. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Travis, I expect a full report after and the reaction, okay? <laughs> oh man, I love it. All right. Um, training related questions. This one is from at NS Rescue89. Question is, what is the trading? training cadence and what do they do for training i know we touched on a little bit of uh you guys have a lot of training but let's let's go into a little more detail so training cadence and what do you actually do for training a little bit of both do you have minimums 
Travis, you've been setting up our training lately. Amongst our own crew, we have to train once a year annually with all the agencies we work with for a day hoist and a night hoist. Actually, we just did our uh, desert search and rescue guys, volunteers. We did their night hoisting last night. And so there's a lot of agencies we work with and other um, departments within We uh, work with the we have some stuff coming up. The SWAT team, sometimes uh, we do some hoisting. A bunch of volunteers, a bunch of other agencies, fire departments. Um, like Mike said, reference the horse uh, rescue. We work with those guys once a year doing a, a mock ho uh, horse. Uh, we work with the coroner's office, which is our department. Uh, we hoist them because we have to insert them on, unfortunately, that don't make it. Um, so we work with the coroners. We work with all those departments and volunteer groups dang man that's a lot that's great that's great uh all right next question so this is at sparkles underscore the underscore marmoset one still a low nursing student but is there a need for an outdoorsy flight nurse i'm impressed travis yeah travis currently have a nurse position with the sheriff's department, but we got Mercy Air and, and Reach and a lot of those air ambulances and they all have flight nurses on them. Right on. Maybe you guys need it. Yeah, in our unit. Will say, yeah, we, that would be great. I will say that there are some search and rescue uh, entities that do have doctors and RNs uh, on a volunteer basis. Like our neighbors, San Bernardino County, they have uh, flight nurses. Uh, paramedics and doctors that are volunteers that ride out. So if um, if Sparkles lives near one of those agencies, then uh, maybe she can uh, contact them and, and inquire. Yeah, they probably would require um, at least I don't know two to four years of of most likely ICU or ER experience beforehand. Nice, perfect. Thanks. All right, next question. Uh, this is. At G-U-I-L-L-E-R-M-O-J-I-I. -I. I think it's Guller Moji. That's what I'm going to go with. So at Guller Moji. How many years does it take to get into the helicopter, I'm going to say rescue program? Uh, I, I guess I'll answer it. Uh, for us in our, in our rescue unit, we start out as, as flight officers into the unit. Then we transition into the pilot seat. Uh, and if we're speaking on the pilot side of, of the rescue unit, um, you have to be a full signed off pilot um, for all rescues, high and low, um, unrestricted, to eventually move into the pilot seat of the, uh, the H-145. Uh, and once you get over there, you go through the transition course into that, and you do your uh, instrument training uh, to get instrument rated. Uh, so that's kind of the streamline on, on the pilot side of it. Uh, as far as the medics go, uh, the medics is fairly a new program. Uh, I think it's a little over three years um, in the making now. Um, it's grown so much. And like I said, these guys have surpassed where we were, uh, where we once were. So they had to have a minimum minimum uh, uh, experience on patrol. Uh, generally, it's about a five-year year experience level that, that we like to see to come into the unit. Uh, these guys tested for the, the EMT position. 
they went through the EMT school and training and uh, that was the bare minimum for them. Then they had to go through our whole in-house training uh, program and regimen, uh, which still took, you know, another additional year or so to kind of get, get spooled up on, on how we do things. Um, so basically, I guess the long and short of it is, is it generally takes about five years um, to get into from patrol to our unit. And then um, you can potentially be doing rescues within a couple of years in uh, on the patrol aspect in the 125. Um, and then you move over to the 145. So uh, it, it does take a long time, but it's a progression, you know, and, and, and we break everything down in, in steps. And uh, we have a, an amazing training program. Uh, a lot has to do with uh, our former chief pilot back in the day, Tony Bowen, set this training program up, did an amazing job. And then Mikey took over and uh, just continued to build on it. So uh, we have we have good good uh, chiefs out there that are, are making this program uh, better and better day by day. Dude, that's awesome. Um, and five years is actually, in my mind, is pretty quick. Uh, if you listen to the guys down in L.A., it's a long time. It's almost 10 to 12 years to get into the helicopter search rescue in the L.A. Um, yeah, the U.S. And, and Coast Guard. Clarify, yep, go ahead. I'm sorry to clarify. The five years is pretty much the requirement to get into our air unit. Uh, and then it still takes a few years before you're in the air unit and you're fully signed off to do unrestricted rescues. So now we're looking towards the eight to 10 year mark. Uh, most oh, okay, of our nice. pilots, yeah, all of our pilots in the, in the, the rescue nine platform have all been there. Uh, I'm the youngest. Uh, there's a couple of us. Uh, we've all been in the, in the unit for about 15 years. Uh, so uh, we've all, you know, had, had a long period of, of exposure in the unit of training. Um, but the, the rescue guys in general, um, had about 10 years or so experience before they transitioned into the full-time uh, rescue platform helicopter. Right on. Yeah. I, and I think about myself with the U S coast guard. I mean, it took me almost, I mean, you figure from boot camp to fully qualified rescue swimmer was about three and a half years, three years ish. So it takes time for sure. No matter what Avenue you're going to do, because you got to start from ground zero and move your way up. <laughs> so, Nice. All right. Just a couple more guys. So this is from at Luke Horseman. What is the minimum level of paramedic or medical qualification that you accept for rescue officers? Now we already know you guys are ENT basics. Um, but would you guys, would you guys accept if there was a, a level of EMT basic or higher already into the program? Mike? Uh, yeah. When we first started, um, none of them uh, were current EMTs or paramedics but it did factor into uh, like, like one guy who used to be a paramedic. And so uh, we picked the, the six guys and uh, they all went to EMT school after that, you know, went together. And so um, it's kind of unique, you know, there's not very many uh, EMTs that are in our department, at least out there working patrol. So it's something that we realized that, yeah, we're going to have to train that person to get that certificate and, um, and then go through all of our in-house training as well. So but we have we have other people out there we've heard that um, are still current paramedics from their previous life um there's even a deputy that works for us that she's a um, a registered nurse in the air force um does oh, wow. medical training nice. stuff uh, 
that she's expressed interest in coming over to the unit eventually. So um, we do have some out there, but it's, it's, it is most likely we're going to have to send that person to EMT and, and then paramedic school. Just out of curiosity, for my own curiosity, for anybody else, uh, if you already have that school, or if they're motivated to go get that training ahead of time, would that help their chances to come into the unit? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. If they're, right. if they're already a paramedic and we're going that route now, then that would just be that much quicker to start utilizing them and getting them in the bloodstream a lot quicker and have them, uh, yeah, instead of having to go to school for a year. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Another question from Luke is, have you ever done any training for scenarios such as the mountain bike? And if not, how do you approach a scenario to come up with that solution? Uh, I guess I'll answer, but uh, I've said it before, but we just, we try to train for every scenario. Um, I don't know that we've actually thrown like a, I know I haven't actually thrown a mountain bike out there and picked it up, but we, frequently trained with the two up. I think Travis uh, mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but the two up allows us to hoist a, uh, a crew member and equipment. So uh, because we train with the two up often, uh, you know, instead of it being a live person, now it's just a, a bicycle. So uh, it's not much different in the way of training and going over the scenario. Uh, I don't know if Mike has it with him or not, but Mike came up with really cool scenarios. Uh, and their cards and he'll randomly just go up grab grab this card and read what the scenario is yeah there you go you want to talk about that a little bit oh look at that oh i like it yeah a lot of these were um these were previous live rescues that we did and when we're flying back you know we'd be like hey you know this is a really good um rescue operation that maybe the the guys on the other side of the week you know should know about and we'll we'll always tell them what we had at debrief and so i'll like I'll, hey, let's make this one a scenario so we can go back and do it again, daytime or nighttime. Maybe we did it daytime the first time and nighttime, let's try it at nighttime, you know. It's, so I just wrote up these cards, laminated them, and it's uh, one through six. And so I'll just say, hey, guys, pick a number, you know, okay, four. All right, hey, uh, rescue number or scenario four. And I'll read off, you know, all the pertinent information, location, um, any injuries or what the status is, um, you know, status of their cell phone and all that, what they're wearing. And it just keeps it keeps it kind of fresh and interesting. If we get in those lulls of, of nothing, there's no real business going on. You know, we do go through those patches where it could be two, three, four weeks and we don't have any kind of live rescue calls. So we got to make our own, you know, and that's where we have that training dummy. We'll just take him out and you'll, you'll see him. I've been putting him on um, my Instagram. Um, he's got his own little nickname already. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you'll see him. We'll put him out there and do the different scenarios, you know, very complex to, Hey, it's just going to be a simple hot seat extraction. Um, so, yeah, sometimes you got to do that and just keep it interesting, keep it fun. And um, yeah, it's a good time. Um, one like thing it. we do, um, we also, we we have come across situations where people are hiking with their dog. And so we have to, we have to hoist the dog out as well. So um, we have um, this giant nylon parachute bag that we take and, and we'll just have to put the dog in the bag, zip them up, put them on the two up <laughs> and uh, away they do it together. Oh, that's and that's great. another thing too, people that really draws people's attention is like, you know, thank you. You rescued the dog. You didn't just leave the dog. And we're like, no, we're not going to just leave the dog on the mountain in the middle of nowhere. You know, to, you had to be victimized by the local animals out there. And no, no, we're going to do everything we can to get your dog too. Nice. Nice. Leave it with the fucking coyote. Hey, hey, <laughs> Manny. <laughs> 
Uh, uh, sorry, sorry. I should have. I should like bleep that. Beep, bleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one last question, which I, I think it's more of a hard time for me, but that's all right. I'm going to ask it, and that is uh, at hard to kill or heart underscore two underscore kill underscore syndicate. Why do you not have merch? I'm working on it. Do you guys have merchandise? How, how do we get merch? Yeah, everybody's got merchandise, Quinny, except you. Just I'm say. working on it. Come Just on, say. man. You know what? <laughs> if you had some sponsors that could help out. I'm sure that would uh, would be beneficial to all of us because I want some free shirts. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. You know what? I'll work on that even more now. All right. Yeah. Look, I got this one. All right, and that one started, and then I got another one coming, but it's a pre-order. See, the, thing don't is, it'll, the thing is, it'll happen. The thing is, Quinny, you have it. We don't have it. I, I'll work. On it. I'll work on that. I'll work we on that. Okay. <laughs> all right. We got to work on. It. So, what's the list here? We need T-shirts. We need challenge coins. We need hats. What what else do we need? We got, you got stickers, 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 stickers. I, I we could do stickers. There's stickers. a few of the basics. Like you know, a lot of a lot of people collect the patches. My son's a, a patch collector too. Okay, uh, patches. There's all, all right, kinds patches. of stuff, but I think that's why we need sponsors, or we need guys like Mike that that love buying all this stuff and and uh, hooking, <laughs> hooking us up. Mike Mike keeps uh. us dressed nice. I like it. Okay. All right. Well, just in case it's for your swag, uh, can, can we use the same email, Mike, to maybe get a patch said to, to, to wait, I, what was it? It was have... hard to kill a syndicate. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, but I mainly get it for like, for our, for our, you know, dissemination, but I, uh, I can get, I can't, we don't, we're not really set up to like sell merch around the world or anything, but if you like come to the hangar, or if we're out at your shop, or we'll bring some stuff, and that's how we kind of get it disseminated out there. But um, if you send me an email, I'll, I'll do my best to, uh, to nice. get something. And I'll uh, and I'll work on it on my end as well. I promise. So let's see, twenty twenty four is right around the corner. So it it might not be that long. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Just saying. <laughs> Things are in the works. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. That was the last question. We have been on for well over two hours. Thank you so much for all the stories and the recap and then answering everybody's questions that, that submitted. Thank you, everybody out there that submitted questions. Super appreciative. Um, is there anything else you guys want to say before I let you go? Mike? Uh, thanks, Quinny, for doing what you do and having us on again. Really appreciate it, man. Love your, love your podcast. And, uh, yeah, just keep doing what you do for the industry. Um, you're reflecting it very well. We love your energy. Uh, I, nice. we all really enjoyed meeting you back in March when uh, SR3 came out and did some uh, training for us. And, uh, so wish you the best, man, and hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, me too. With more rescues. Oh, yes. All right. Travis, what you got? Good seeing you, buddy. And I look forward to seeing this podcast. Right on, brother. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate you. And Manny, last words from the last man. Uh, Jason, thank you, man. Uh, it's been an honor again to, to sit here and chat with you. Um, I know you, you live by the motto, so others may live. Um, Damn right. I, lo I love that motto. Uh, you know, we're all in this, this rescue field uh, for that same reason. You know, we enjoy helping people uh, and we do what we love. So thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk about what, uh, what we get to do every day and get paid to do uh, on your podcast. Um, you've got a great platform and it continues to grow and educate people. And, and, uh, I really appreciate it. 
And also thank you to all your, your followers and your listeners that asked all these questions. Uh, this is this is a fun opportunity for us to actually, uh, you know, get a little bit of almost one-on-one -on -one time to, to talk about what it is that we do in detail. Um, so thanks again for, uh, for your listeners, your, your followers, and for you for giving us this opportunity. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Uh, I'll be out in Anaheim for HAI. I'm looking forward to running into you guys. If I can make it up yes. to Riverside, I certainly will. But you know it's going to be straight out balls of the wall we're down at Heli Expo. Just throwing that out there. Absolutely. But anyway, yeah. right on, gentlemen. Well, the next time we're together, we're kicking back a beer. Another one. All right? Yes. Sounds good. Awesome. And with that, All ladies and right. gentlemen, we are out of here. Go. Now it's time for me to pull chocks and take off. But before I go, I'm always looking for the memorable rescues that people have done. If you have one that you're willing to share or know somebody who has a story, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to highlight it here at The Real Rescue. For everybody that is standing by for that SAR alarm, remember, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. So until next time, fly safe and swim hard. Thank you for joining me today here at the Real Rescue Podcast, powered by Vertical Helicast. We'd also like to say thank you to our sponsors for this episode. Breeze Eastern. For over 80 years, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured battle-proven aerial rescue hoists, winches, and cargo hooks. Each product is carefully crafted to support demanding mission scenarios, ensuring the job gets done safely and efficiently. Visit them today at www.breeze-eastern.com. I had a statement made to me not too long ago, and I wanted to pass it on. The statement was this. You can be a very smart person and still capable of making stupid decisions. My gosh, that hit me like with a ton of bricks because I was like, man, that's very true. I've been guilty of that as well. It's true. Because intelligence and wisdom aren't always perfectly aligned. Sometimes even the brightest minds can fall short and become biased, blind spotted, or simply make a bad decision. Ultimately, I think it's important to remember that being smart is just one piece of the puzzle. Humility, self-awareness, and willingness to learn from mistakes are equally as important as making sound choices. So the next time you encounter someone making a stupid decision, try to remember there might be more to the story than meets the eye. And for ourselves, it's a good reminder to stay humble, keep learning, and be open to feedback even when we think we've got it all figured out. Because again, and I relate this to me personally, I think I'm a pretty smart guy when it comes to search and rescue. I've been doing this for a long time. But yes, I am still capable of making stupid decisions, and that's okay. Admit to it, own it, learn from it, and move on.